Before we begin this episode, I want you to know that there is going to be some depictions of violence and abuse. So if that is a particular sensitivity for you, or you have children that are listening, it may be wise to skip this episode. When you had to fish every day, um, can you tell me about that work and what you had to do? You, you told me you had to fish and fish and you had to get up very early. But can you tell me about what you had to do all day? Oh, if, let me say, if you wake up that dawn 4 o'clock a.m., you go on fishing that dawn, you return around 10 to 11 a.m., 10 to 11 a.m., you go back on fishing again, set the net in the river, and then return home around 5.30 to 6 o'clock p.m. What Jeffrey just said is basically that they would start fishing at 4 a.m. and they would finish their day at 5 p.m. That's a long day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all day working with that, under the sun, the hot sun like that. But the, those areas, the sun is too hot than this. What, um, when you, did you have to dive down for the net? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the net hooks a distance, a, a stick, sometimes stones under the distance. So you have to drove down. Whether it is deep or not, you have to drove down by forcibly, compulsory to go and remove that net. He would have to work in the very hot sun, and then he would often have to dive into the lake to untangle the nets that were caught in the sticks and stones below. This is Jeffrey, and for three years, he was enslaved on the same island that Esther was, in Lake Volta. He had to work on fishing boats, and as he just shared with us, he would have to get up very early in the morning to set nets and bring in fish and then set nets again and bring in more fish. And as if that wasn't dangerous and scary enough, often the nets would get tangled. And so the boys would have to go to the bottom of the lake to untangle the nets. And oftentimes, in that untangling, they would get stuck and not survive. This week, we are going to spend our entire episode talking about Jeffrey's story, because to really understand the journey of Esther and how her story unfolds, We have to understand Jeffrey and his heroic, incredible, honorable actions. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and this is The New Activist, a podcast brought to you by International Justice Mission that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. To understand what Jeffrey would ultimately do, we need to know what kind of person he is. So first, we are going to hear from one of IJM's investigators, someone you don't normally get to hear from. His name, we'll call him Peter. He's a boy of 19 years old, short, dark in complexion, determined to, if you see, he's very determined to become somebody. But all of a sudden, he was taken to the island. So when he came, he was determined to leave that area. Geoffrey, a very intelligent boy. Again, Esther's caseworker, Perpetual. I think that's the best word I can use to describe him. Very intelligent. Um, and, and, and somebody that is uh, very determined. Um, I think he has a good heart. Yeah, he has a good of everybody, uh, all the other children around him. Um, he has a dream. Um, so even back on the lake, Uh, He was always finding ways how he can one day get out of a situation to pursue his dreams. 
So that's just kind of the scene set of who Jeffrey is. And I can affirm that I and the entire crew that was with me in Ghana just love Jeffrey. We got to spend the entire day with him and he is charming, funny, beloved in his community and the owner of an incredible story. Can you tell me the story of how you went from your home to the lake? Can you tell me that story? Okay. That was way vacation. That's a week to resume our school. So I was at home when a certain woman, a woman that I've never ever seen in my life before, she came that she's my auntie. What she said is to come and spend just one week vacation with her so that she can also help me with my needs. That's book, pen, those things, yeah. So we've all agreed. So I went there. She took me away from here. She called the man. The man that she told me that she is my uncle. So, and he just told me that I'll just spend three days there. Then later on, he will buy me the book so that I'll return back. So the following day, before I waked up 6 a.m., my auntie, the woman that claimed that she's my auntie, she's no more. When around 4 a.m., his fifth born called me that, uh, let's go and fishing. A work that I've never done in my life before. Uh, I have no decision. Just to keep us on track, Jeffrey is saying that right before school started during the summer, a woman who claimed to be his aunt said that he could come and live with her for a little while, do some work so that he could afford books and pens. It was then that the aunt introduced Jeffrey to who he thought was his uncle, who said that he would also help find him work. It was at that point that Jeffrey was awoken in the morning, very early in the morning at 4 a.m. and told that it was time to fish, something he had never done in his life. From that day, I started fishing by force. So I was just there fishing, fishing. You said that you were suffering. Yeah. Can I ask you, how were you suffering? And one, to start with, in fact, to drove down is not easy. To hold your breath without breathing for five minutes, three minutes is not easy. It is not easy. And one thing to is. He's saying that when he had to dive into the water, he had to hold his breath for three to five minutes, and it was not easy. We eat uh, banku without this thing. Uh, we raw banku for a whole year before for a whole year before you cook rice once that's when it is christmas once finished then you start with your banku again for a whole year which is not good and the food he's referring to that he ate for a year is called banku it's sort of a raw sourdough and water mixture one time they gave him rice on christmas let me see if you said let me say, we are going on fishing and you say that your head is aching or you are feeling a pain. In fact, that very day you find it difficult. They will fish you. In fact, this type of rope that even, that one is even bigger than this one. They will twist it thrice. It is not easy. And even sometimes to slap those things, it's not easy. 
see what do you do? It's not easy. That's very hard. Thank you for sharing that with me. Okay. He's saying that if they complained or felt sick, they would get beaten with a rope. And so it goes for Jeffrey for the next year. Then there's, let me say, one and a half year, she returned, she came again with my younger brother. With my younger brother. But my younger brother, it's like, he gave my younger brother to the man that my auntie claimed that uh, he's my uncle, give my younger brother to that man's younger brother at a different island. So we were all there fishing, fishing, fishing. So the woman who claims to be Jeffrey's aunt comes back a year later. Jeffrey has been fishing that entire time forcibly. And she comes back, this time with his brother. One day, the addition, my uncle, the woman that the woman claimed that he is my uncle, his son, gave me his phone that let me go and buy him a time. So I've gotten that opportunity. My uncle, my auntie, the woman that I'm saying. My auntie that is here. Your real auntie? Yeah, my real auntie. Her number is off-headed, so I just picked the number and called her, narrated everything to her. So what ends up happening is that his uncle, who's not really his uncle, that uncle's son, his biological child, gives Jeffrey his phone in order that Jeffrey will go and put more minutes on the phone. Jeffrey then, wisely, uses that phone to call his actual aunt, his aunt then begins to coordinate and get help for Jeffrey, ultimately leading to IJM's intervention. Okay. So how, when did you first hear about Jeffrey? It's kind of amazing how God works in this. We actually went with the police um, in, our, in DSW to conduct a completely separate rescue operation. You are listening to Joshua, another one of IJM's investigators in Ghana and someone who is very familiar with Jeffrey's story. Um, during the course of, of that, um, that rescue operation actually fell apart. And um, just lack of information from some of our sources, at which time we, we were given information by our police partners that, hey, we, we actually have information about this young man named Jeffrey, and we just haven't had the resources to come out here and do it, but we're here. Can we now shift to focus on this? And so yeah, we were all excited. We are like, yes, we didn't know you had this information. And so they go out um, to do kind of a reconnaissance of, of the island, at, at which point they actually observe Jeffrey. And they're like, okay, this is too good to be true. In what way was the middle, were the middle man and woman working? How did their operation happen? Yeah, so um, for, for Jeffrey specifically, this middle woman um, was actually a friend of Jeffrey's family. And so she approaches Jeffrey's family saying, hey, uh, I know that Jeffrey needs money for school books and I have someone uh, that would be willing to help pay for that. So she goes, but here's what I need to do. I need to take him with me because uh, this is during school vacation. I'm gonna take him with me. We'll go to this place. Uh, my friend will help provide the money for his school books and I'll bring him back before school. So uh, what happens is Jeffrey, knowing, thinking that this is what's taking place, he's going on a vacation, he ends up going to this island and the next morning that he wakes up, no one is there. And so that's actually a constant theme that we've observed with this one middle woman. Um, so she is, she is preying on people within her community
um, and either they are paying directly for the children or they are using um, deceptive means to get the children to the to the island. Gracious. Yeah, and and the same for the middleman. Uh, he um, would basically approach families that he knew were having a, a a rough economic time and say, "Hey, I can I can help send this child to school for you. I know someone that will." Um, help take care of this child, maybe teach them a trade, plus they'll give you some money so you can take care of your other children. And so we see this recurring theme. We saw it in episode one and two, and we will see it throughout this entire series, that poverty and the perils of poverty, and we're, we're talking poverty where you are on the brink of starvation, that kind of poverty forces families into perilous danger. We saw it with Esther, and now we see it with Jeffrey. But there's another factor at play, and this is something that I did not know before I went to Ghana. But in Ghana, I saw and spoke to so many people who talked about the importance of family. And it's really mostly a beautiful thing. But sometimes the family system is something that can work against individuals, like we saw with the person who claimed to be Jeffrey's aunt. Once again, here is Leo, the director of advocacy for IJM in Ghana. So the family system is, is really um, respected here in Ghana. I mean, everyone belongs to a family. Even if you don't have your parents around, at least you have an uncle and niece around to support you. Um, I mean, even in the community, everybody is part of your family. Everybody's seen as part of your family because during Christmas, you share meals with uh, your neighbor. You can go to your neighbor's house and share a meal and all that. And so that speaks about how we uh, uphold the family structure and the family system. And so for many people, even if they are not living with their parents. They may be living with their grandfather. They may be living with an uncle. They may be living with someone, especially for those that live in uh, the rural areas where they do not have access to a number of basic uh, necessities of life. Um, if someone is living in such a place, the person will strive to get his or her child to move to Accra to make a living. And so in that situation, the person may say, okay, go and live with this person. Or the person may ask um, his or her child or what to go and live with an uncle somewhere. It could be an uncle who lives in another rural community because he feels that that person can take care of his or her son or his or her daughter. And, and such things happen. And so people move around to live with uh, guardians or um, relations um, because of the family setup and the way we are wired as a people. It's the way we are wired as a people. And so when Jeffrey hears that an aunt is there to help him, both the reality of the ingrained DNA of what family means in Ghana, as well as the perils of poverty, enslave people who are incredibly smart and savvy, like Jeffrey. We'll now pick up his story. If you remember, he called his actual aunt for help. Can you tell me about the day that you were rescued? What do you remember? Can you tell me the story of the day you were rescued from the yeah. island? Yeah. That very day, we would not go on fishing that very day. So around 10 o'clock a.m., we were just under the shade and the, uh, the visitors came. So that, that morning, I was, just, I was just sitting down, setting my net when they arrived. Called my name, took their canoe to the other side where my destiny is. 
That very man, they all rescued too. And so that should be the end of the story, right? Jeffrey is sitting there. He is untangling the nets. For some reason, they didn't have to go fishing that morning, but he still had to work, so he's untangling the nets. At around 10 a.m., people showed up. He got on what he called a canoe, but it was really a rescue boat manned by the police and some folks from IJM, and he went to another island, an island of safety. To give a little bit more insight, here is, once again, Joshua, an IJM investigator who was a part of that day. Do you remember what Jeffrey was like on the boat when he was being brought back and brought off the island? I do know uh, what he was like the moment that he touched the ground. I was able to observe him. He was happy. Yeah. Um, you could uh, you could almost just sense this uh, this feeling of like, and I know it's a cliche, but of freedom. You can tell that there was this weight that was lifted off of him. And throughout the course of maybe one or two hours of interaction, um, you could just see this ama- amazing amount of like growth and openness that he was providing to the team, you know. Um, so it was, uh, it, it was quite, for me, it was actually the first operation I'd ever been on since my time in Ghana. And it was just, uh, it was kind of what you always expected, you know, to right. see. And it was, just, it was just this cool, like, liberating, like, relief that someone goes through. Do you remember what, how you felt when you were rescued? Do you remember were you, your feelings when you were rescued? Like what you were thinking about when you were finally off of the island? Uh, yeah, I feel when I was there, I feel it difficult to feel comfortable. But when they came and rescued me, I feel comfortable as how I was before she came and took me. So we're going to pause in Jeffrey's story because he is free, he is safe, but also his story is not over. But I wanted to do kind of what we've done in every episode and zoom way out and look quickly at a broader issue. There's kind of a common misunderstanding about how IJM works. People think there are just hundreds of IJM employees and they've all got IJM jackets on and they're going and they're storming this area and rescuing Jeffrey. But in reality, IJM exists to serve local authorities. The purpose of IJM is to be of support to both elected officials in country as well as the entire legal system within a country. And so just to kind of reframe the picture that you may have in your head, when that boat came and got Jeffrey, yes, there were a few people from IJM on it, but mostly It was police, it was local authorities, it was Ghanaians doing the work of ending slavery on Lake Volta. Here's a little bit more about the relationship between IJM and the police. We're going to hear from Anita Boudou. We've heard her in the previous episodes. She is the director of casework for IJM in Ghana. I would say um, particularly for IJM Ghana, in as much as there are difficulties with the police service, I would say that um, the majority of what we have seen is a willingness for the police force to actually address the issue and a keenness to, number one, learn and know more about how to deal with trafficking, how to support it and how to deal with it. And so in an example, we did a training there or the investigative team did a training there. And two days after that training, they were out on a rescue operation and they were 
so excited to be able to use what they'd learned in the classroom practically out on the field. And that kind of cemented the relationship. And through that, they were kind of collaborating, able to call our investigators for advice as needed as they're going out on the field. Um, and so I would say on the whole, um, much of what we see is um, in some ways a force that doesn't have maybe the full resources that they need to be able to address um, the issue. And so as building that capacity supports them to be able to do that. Yes, there might be some instances of um, practices that are not best practices, and that also needs to be dealt with. But I would say on the whole, there has been, once there's an awareness of IJM, what we do, and our mandates to actually build them up and support them in what they do. It's not about IJM being at the forefront, but it's about IJM being at the back end and providing technical support for the police and also the Department of Social Welfare to be the ones being at the forefront because they have the legal mandate um, to bring rescue and restoration to these vulnerable young ones and even um, accountability to the perpetrators of these crimes. And so by using the full force of the legal system, the Ghana police, social services, Jeffrey has been rescued. But that of course is not the end of his story. I asked Joshua the investigator to retell the story of what happened after Jeffrey was safe. Wait until you hear this. Yeah, so um, there was an arrest made when they rescued Jeffrey. And so the police were dealing with the suspect at that point in time. And so uh, myself and another police officer and another member of IJM Investigations were actually sitting down eating lunch with Jeffrey. And during the course of that time, we were just through small conversation, learning more and more about other people that may have been on the island. He revealed that there were more children actually on the island. Again, perpetual. Um, that are not the boatmaster's children, that are in a similar situation as uh, himself, and that he would love that um, if the team can help. So he gave details, he gave names, the masters that they work with, uh, estimated ages, um, even sometimes descriptions of um, those children to us. So uh, the team had to stay a bit longer to go back and back to be able to get those children that he provided details. Yeah. yeah. So did Joffrey make that list of children? Yes, the, the initial, yeah. Yeah, including Esther. Okay, yes. so Esther's he, name he was made, on that? Yes, he made that, that list for, for the team. So he said Esther's name. Yes, he said Esther's name. And that's, that's kind of when Esther's name came up. So just through casual conversation, you know, Jeffrey was just providing us this information about all the other people that were there. And how was the decision made for him to go back to the rescue? And was the rescue the next day? Uh, yeah, it was less than 24 hours later. Okay, so that's big. I mean, for even as brave as he is, that's still gotta be scary to get back on a boat going the other direction, um, like going back towards the island. So tell me about the conversation and the decision around him getting back on that boat. Um, it, was, uh, it was a decision that we kind of talked about with our partners together. You know, how, how do we best identify where people are living, where the houses are? Because we had minimal um, information about the island. And so the, the, key th the key thing there was as a team with our partners, we just deliberated and said, okay, it seems like our best option is to have uh, Jeffrey go back with us. And so myself um, and the DSW officer, one of our aftercare 
team members and um, a member of the police sat down with Jeffrey, explained all of his options, the fact that we understood he would be scared going back, but um, if he went back, there's a possibility of all the people he told us about could be rescued. And there was not a hesitation. On his part? Not at all. Like I, would have un I would have understand if there would have been. I would have too. And, I, and I, I actually, I think the majority of us, when we walked into that meeting with him, were under, you know, we knew that it was probably going to be a no or I'm scared to go back. But after explaining the pros and the cons, um, I don't think there was any need for us to explain the cons. I think he was in it from the beginning because he knew that what he's just experienced, other people were going to have a chance to experience. And so... My goodness. He didn't blink an eye. He said, yes, let's go. So you have this list. He's willing to go. Were you with him that the next day? Were you on the boat back to the island? Okay. So you send that team on, on the boat. Tell me about what transpires, for, what you know of that transpires in, in that day. Well, quite a bit, including weather. So we start out, um, we start out that next day of just trying to get everything together as quick as we can within probably less than 18 hours to move forward. Um, and then it's quite a distance from the mainland to the island. So you're looking at probably about an hour and a half, two hour boat ride. Um, and then the weather kind of just comes out of nowhere, right? And so these guys are actually stuck in what is I wouldn't say like a torrential downpour, but it's the wind is blowing. And even though we're talking about a lake, it's a massive body of water. And so you're looking at, you know, large waves in the middle of the water, which is pretty dangerous for the size of boats that they're in. So they make it, they make it to the island. We've got little to no reception with each other from myself and the other group that's on the mainland to them that's in the boat. And I know that they encountered um, some difficult situations when they were there, uh, that being multiple places that they had to go to with such a small team that they were utilizing. But with, um, with Jeffrey's help, they were able to push through and, and do it as fast as they could. Wow, that's incredible. So he then, from what we've heard, his next step is uh, he goes and starts identifying. Can you tell us what happened on the island that day? Uh, it was pretty rapid. You know, and that uh, that Jeffrey was out there, um, really just kind of pointing out exactly who needs to go. You need to go. I still cannot wrap my head around the bravery of Jeffrey, because the story, right, is that he is working as a slave, he is rescued, he is safe and free. And if it were me, I go home. I never look back but he then gives names of other children who are still there and then has the idea and agrees to go back to the island the next day to help find those children because he is basically the sole witness to slavery. And he is the person that goes back and is identifying them. Can you imagine the bravery of this young man? Were you there when they went back and found uh, Esther? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember seeing her? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was she like when you saw her? Very, very bad. Very, very mm. bad. Because of Jeffrey's bravery, on our next episode, we hear about Esther's rescue. But first, 
One more moment with Jeffrey. Tell me about the day you came home. I was Sunday, 20th May. And what were people doing and saying? Singing, happy, see? How did that make you feel? <laughs> I feel happy, comfortable that I'm in my hometown again. Do you, do you ever still think about the lake? Yeah, sometimes I think of how I suffered and how it is now. What do you think about knowing that there are still kids that are suffering? How, because even if I've not seen them, how they are suffering too, how it is to me, I know it will be to them, that's why I know that they are suffering. I think you're very brave for telling the people, telling the police all of the names yeah. and for going back so soon and helping find. Do you feel very brave? Yeah. Do you know you yeah. are very brave? Do you know that you have helped so many people yeah. not suffer? Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey used all of his bravery to help Esther, and my hope is that we will do the same. There are still children on the lake who are suffering. Please go to ijm.org forward slash rescue dash children. The link is in our show notes. Go to that website and use your voice, use your money, use all of your power to help the children that are still there. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as Esther and Jeffrey, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. I'm <laughs>